We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Start for the win. It's good. Shevsky takes flight as SGA plays through the contact, banks it into the foul. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast post-game edition. I'm your host for the evening, Jacob Niffin, coming to you live after the Thunder have lost in dramatic fashion once again to the San Antonio Spurs. Feels like these two teams always play close, crazy, exciting basketball games. Thunder lose this one. 122-120 on a last-second Lonnie Walker three-point shot to put the Spurs up to. Shea Gilgis-Alexander misses the response on an out-of-bounds play with 1.3 seconds left, and the Thunder drop one to the Spurs, and the tank lives on. I'm your host for the evening, Jacob Niffen. We are proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of SI Thunder. We are live on the stream tonight on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Facebook. We already got the comment section hopping tonight after this crazy game. So if you guys haven't subbed to our YouTube page yet, I'd highly encourage you to do so. For those of you that are in the chat, keep dropping those questions, drop those comments. I will get to all of them. I promise you. Uh, really want to get a lot of your guys' thoughts on this wild and crazy game tonight. I, th- I had so much fun. Uh, Micah D. Young summing up the night tonight. Good L. It was a good loss. They they needed a loss for the tank. It was a fun game. This was everything I think we could have hoped for. I'm anxious to kind of see what some of the guys say post-game. Let's just go ahead and start diving right on into this one, guys. Oh, what a crazy game. The Thunder were down uh, pretty big in the first quarter. They had it down to 29 to 37 at the end of quarter number one. Uh, Shea and Baisley had a really solid first quarter. I thought Baisley did a lot of really nice things in that first quarter. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about Darius Baisley tonight, so I will get there momentarily. Uh, Second quarter, Thunder lose that one 27 to 31, uh, and they go into the break down by, I believe that is, God, like 12. Uh, they The Thunder had got the lead down to, uh, I believe, tied. I have it in my notes here. Let me look this up real quick. Uh, they had it tied 
uh, with about four minutes left to halftime at 51 to 51. And then the Spurs just went on a three point shooting spree, could not miss anything. Uh, went on like something like a, a 17 to six run or something like that down the stretch of that, that first half and just completely blew the doors open. Uh, Thunder go in to halftime down big, but then come back in the third quarter. They won the third quarter 35 to 30. They chip away. And the story of the third quarter is just Shea Gilgis Alexander. I like like basically we're gonna talk a ton about Shea tonight as well. But the third quarter, basically just Shea time. Uh here you go. Amen is correcting me. Here's a 17 to 5 run at the end of the half. Um, third quarter, Shea Gilgis Alexander, nine of nine for 20 points, did not miss a single shot, really got fired up. It was awesome to see. Then the fourth quarter starts. Thunder primarily have a bench unit out there. At one point, the Thunder had out essentially the G League team. It was Olivier Saar. It was Aaron Wiggins. It was Trey Mann. It was Teo Maladon. It was Vic Krejci. Those five guys all played together on a G League court this season. And they were the ones that brought the game back and actually took the lead for OKC uh, before Mark subbed in I'm not going to say the quote-unquote starters. The, the final lineups were kind of interesting. Down the stretch, they were playing Baisley, Poku, Shea, Lindy Waters, and who was the fifth? I believe it was Aaron Wiggins. Uh, I think that's right. And then they put Trey Mann in there towards the very end. But Poku, Baisley, uh, kind of your your final um, closing lineup front court at your four and your five, which was which was pretty exciting. The end of the game got completely crazy. I, it was going way too fast for me. Um, I had uh, SGA took a horrible three-point heave at the end of the game, uh, missed it. There was a DeJounte Murray turnover. Uh, the Thunder get the ball. Shea immediately turns it back over. Um, SGA, uh, I, I noted he looked very tired in that last minute. Hands on his hips, hips looked like he was huffing and puffing. And then my notes just say, "Wow, wow, 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 wow!" As Poku makes a great defensive play, uh, runs the floor. Shea hits him with a pass. Poku gets the layup to go up by one. The Spurs run an out of bounds play um, to Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker post game actually said it was designed to go to Dejounte Murray, but the Thunder defended it too well, so they improvised. They got the ball to Lonnie Walker. He pulls the three. Splash. Spurs go up to 1.3 seconds left. Thunder put Lindy Waters as the inbounding passer on that final play. I thought that was very fascinating. Uh, they run a set for Shea, who gets the switch from DeJounte Murray to um, Josh Primo. That's who I was looking for. Josh Primo switches on to Shea, forces him into the corner. Shea catches uh, a lot of contact there. I uh, I think it's a good no call, but a lot of contact. Shea catches uh, really no time left. Kind of got himself into the corner, turns, heaves, and misses. And that is the ball game. Incredibly exciting game, uh, especially that second half. I think there are some things in the first half, but I think that second half especially was just incredibly exciting, incredibly fun. Uh, Amon says that was a hell of a shot by Lonnie Walker. Yes, it was. 
uh, tightly contested, just splashed it in, which was awesome. Uh, David Moreno says it's a perfect tank game. David, I think I would agree with you. It, it kind of stings because you saw how excited and how hard the Thunder were playing. Um, you know, y- you want them to feel like that effort paid off and that they won the game. But I said this last year, whenever Lou Dort hit a three corner three pointer to beat the Spurs in Oklahoma city uh, during the COVID year with no fans, I said, this feels good in the moment, but we're not going to like it whenever lottery odds come around and the thunder have one more win than somebody else. This stings right now because like you really want to see guys like Shea and his night Baisley and his night Poku and the night he had and the stretch he's had. You want to see it pay off uh, with a win that for them to it, for it to feel like it's justified. But we all know what the long term the long term play is here, and that is to get the best lottery odds possible to get the highest draft pick possible, to get the best possible talents in OKC to help bring this franchise back to the mountaintop. Uh, Colin Reed says, would anyone like to contribute to sending a Lonnie, to sending Lonnie Walker a fruit basket? The happiest I've been on a loss. Lonnie, uh, Colin, I think a lot of people uh, probably feel that way as well. Really fun stuff. So, so let's dive in. Uh, I have a series of notes here we can kind of talk through, and we'll also look at some individual players. We'll sprinkle that in as we go through the notes. Um, Let's do some of that, and then we'll cut to our quick commercial break, and then we'll kind of wrap the show up. Uh, So I really started taking kind of in-depth notes at at the start of the, the second half. Uh, the first, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about in the first half, but let's let's really dig through the second half because I think this one was really important. Um, my first note was that with eight and a half minutes left in the third quarter, there was a defensive possession where I forget who it was on the Spurs, but they had the ball, they were isolated, uh, and they drove from the right wing. They got down on the baseline and tried to drive baseline. And just something really stuck out to me. And that was that Trey Mann was on the opposite side of the court, on the weak side, defending. His man was up kind of at the elbow. So his man is in one direction. The guy with the ball driving is behind him. But Trey had the wherewithal to locate the ball. Um, and as soon as that guy went baseline, Trey like busted his ass to the baseline uh, and got in the way and jumped up and got his hands up. And just a really heady defensive play. Uh, knew to use the def- the baseline as another defender, cut off the drive, gave the the guy who had the ball again. I can't remember who had it, but gave the guy who had the ball like no window to make a pass. Uh, really got them stuck because they had picked up their dribble. The Spurs um, ended up getting a shot on that possession, but they missed it. But then got an offensive and a rebound and a tip in. So ultimately, that possession ends up in points. But I thought that heads up play, that aggressive play. Trey didn't like half-ass get to the baseline. Um, He didn't like hesitate. He just, he identified and he was gone. And he was there making the play. That is the epitome of what I think this front, not the front office, what this coaching staff is trying to get through to Trey Mann is that you have to play so incredibly hard defensively. That is your deficiency. You're not going to play on this team if you can't play defense. 
one of my favorite things, I forget who had mentioned this, but uh, Mark Dagnalt sat down with Trey earlier on in the season and showed him film of somebody, I can't remember who, um, a, a, defen- a defensive player, um, the, the offensive player with the ball called up a screen to get a switch onto a guy and did it four straight possessions because he knew he could just cook that defender. And Mark said, Trey, you cannot be this guy, the guy that's getting that other teams want to get the switch on you because they know they can cook you. And I, I just thought this was like the epitome of what they want from Trey man. They're trying to get him to be a dog, to be aggressive, uh, to make the right play, the smart play, the aggressive play on defense. Every time that play just really stuck out to me. That's a lot of talking about Trey man um, and, and one possession, but I, I, that was just that encapsulated to me. What really, what I think they want from Trey. Uh, and I really enjoyed that play. Um, so this was at the beginning of the third quarter with about eight minutes left. I typed in a note that says Shay's midi pull-up is unreal. He can get to it off the dribble. He's got a midi step back. He had one against DeJounte Murray where he drove in and kind of like did a half spin and a spin, spin back like fade away. Just absurd. The mid-range game from Shay is insane. And the end part of my note here says it's very CP3-esque. That's a move you see from from Chris all the time is that mid-range pull-up. He dribbles into it, gets the defender stepping one step too far. He pulls it up. Um, Chris loves to get into that spin-around, turn-around mid-range jumper. We talked two seasons ago. If you've listened to this pod for long, we talked two seasons ago about how big of an impact Chris Paul would make on Shea Gilgis-Alexander and his career. Not only the on-court stuff, but the leadership style stuff as well. I think that mid-range pull-up is a little bit of what he took away from Chris. Uh, I just see so much Chris uh, in that play, uh, in that style of play, that it's hard to believe it is not. Uh, Eamon says he shook DeJounte. Yeah, there was one of those middies where he crossed over. Uh, got his shoulder into DeJounte, who just went flying, fell on the ground. Shea hits the the little free-throw line extended pull-up. Uh, just beautiful. <laughs> My next note was on a jump ball between, was it Isaiah Roby and DeJounte Murray, I believe. And my note just says, what the F was that jump ball? Because the ref stood there for a while and then apparently got really upset with where DeJounte Murray's forearm was when they were lining up to jump and then sat there and held the ball for like 10 seconds before he tossed it. Very awkward. I did not like it at all. Um, Next note, Shea Gilgis Alexander's first three-point attempt of the night came on a catch and shoot out of the corner on an out-of-bounds play. And it was late in the third quarter. I thought that was very surprising. He did not shoot a three until about four minutes left in the third. He splashed it through. Um, so let's look at Shea's stat line real quick then, because I'm about to get into to Shea's night as far as his scoring and stuff. And we'll we'll pause on the notes and we'll really dive into just some Shea stuff. Shea took that three-pointer with three minutes left in the third, four minutes left in the third, right around there. He ended the night with four three-point attempts. So his first one came almost at the end of the third quarter. I think the last three came in the fourth quarter. Actually, I know the last three because he missed all three. So all three came in the fourth quarter. I think Shea got really tired. 
I think if you go back and you rewatch that fourth quarter, whenever he subbed back in, I think Shea was exhausted. He was huffing and puffing. He had his hands up on his hips. He was hunched over on some defensive possessions. Dude looked tired. Can't blame him. He just looked tired. Um, so a couple more notes on Shea, and then we will pause and look at his stat line. Uh, I said Shea had a lefty scoop layup high off the glass. Dude is effing ridiculous. His left hand has become such a weapon. You can't play him on one side or the other. If you sit on his right hand and try to force him left, he's just going to kill you with lefty runner, like floater, scoop shots all game long. And then if you switch around, you try to take away that left hand, you're giving him his dominant hand. That doesn't seem like a good plan. He has really evolved his game to an impressive level. And I, that left hand just unlocks so much for him. What was it? A, a couple of weeks ago, Aaron Wiggins said the first time he ever guarded Shea was in preseason practice. And Aaron felt like he was a really good defender and he defended Shea really well. And Shea just hit like three lefty layups in a row on him because Shea was getting past him and and using that left hand. And, and Aaron just said, dude, there's nothing else I can do. Like, I don't know how this guy does it being ambidextrous at the rim just takes Shea's game to a, a completely different level. Um, my last note for Shea in that third quarter says SGA absolute takeover in the third. Um, and then, so he went nine of nine in the third for 20 points. I said, after he was nine of nine, he used the attention that he garnered to get his teammates open. If you watch, he hits, I think another free throw line pull up that, prompts a Spurs timeout. Once the Spurs call the timeout, Shea's walking off and he's talking to shit and it's awesome to watch. They come back. The Spurs are dialed in on stopping Shea and Shea was swinging the ball really fast. He was making the right reads, making the right passes, trying to get his teammates open. That's a awesome showing of maturity and, and showing of where Shea's game is at. He can be cooking. He can have everything going, be completely in his bag but he knows how to read the game. He doesn't get too into himself. He doesn't get too full of himself. He doesn't want to go takeover mode. He's making the right basketball plays and getting other guys involved, which was absolutely awesome to see. So let's talk about Shea's overall game. 34 points on 14 of 22 shooting. That's a, a, a measly 64% from the field. He was only one of four from three. The one three he made was that catch and shoot from the corner. He missed three pretty, like they, they were all three off the dribble in the fourth quarter. Two of them were really bad shots. Uh, he went five of eight from the free throw line. Uh, not so swell. He had six rebounds, eight assists, three steals, a block, three turnovers, and only one personal foul. Uh, he ended up on the night a minus eight. Just... Crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, StatMuse on Twitter, who has uh, had some Shea slander recently, tweeted since February, Shea is averaging 31 points, six rebounds, eight assists on 54% shooting. Folks, I would call that a leap. This isn't empty calories. This isn't someone on the bad team has to score. Shea isn't line one of the opposing team's scouting report. He's page one. Like every team that plays the Thunder knows 
you shut down Shea, you win the game. He's garnering all this attention. You watch possessions where he's got the ball isolated at the top of the key, and all five defenders have a foot in the paint ready to collapse on him because they know how lethal of a of a driver he is. And he's still averaging 30-plus. He's still getting to his spots. He's being uber-efficient. This is, I don't know what else to call it besides a leap. He's made another jump in his game. Uh, I think he will come in next season um, just on a completely different level. You know, another offseason of this kid, another training camp. You bring Josh back with him. You bring Lou back with him. Um, you bring guys like maybe Baisley and Poku. Um, hopefully a top four draft pick. Uh, maybe the Thunder trade up with that that Clippers pick and get two top 10 picks or something. I don't know. But you bring back more talent. Maybe they make a move in the offseason. I don't know what their plans are. We think we know what their plans are. We don't know for sure. He's just he's primed to continue to, to just be incredible. Uh, my guy Keandre, he's at Hoop Intellect on Twitter and on YouTube, said he th- thinks Shea could be one of the only guards in the league right now who could average 30 for a season. It's just so efficient. It's 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 incredible. It's really awesome to watch. All right, let's get back to the notes. Baisley hits a three-pointer at the buzzer of the third quarter, which was awesome to see. There's more Baisley coming up. I'll just jump to that now. Uh, I had a note that said, is this Baisley stretch actual growth or is it another phase? We know he is not this good of a shooter. I just saw a Royce Young tweet. Let's look it up here. Darius Baisley's last three games. Tonight, he had 25 on 9 of 16, 4 of 10 from 3, and 9 rebounds. Before that, he had 25 points on 10 of 18 shooting, 4 of 9 from 3, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. The game before that was his career-high 29 points on 11 of 19 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, and 10 rebounds. So that's 3 of 7 from 3, 4 of 9 from 3, 4 of 10 from 3. 11 of 19 from the field, 10 of 18 from the field, 9 of 16 from the field. That's a lot of scoring for Baisley. That's really good efficiency from Baisley. And I was talking to, to Taylor a little bit tonight about this. I feel like whenever we're watching Baisley play basketball, he's either in the midst of a five-game stretch that is really, really good, or he's in the midst of a five-game stretch where he looks awful. We go from... Oh, Basley might get himself a nice like seven or eight million dollars a year extension this summer. To uh, maybe they just need to cut Basley loose this summer for one of these draft picks. Like it, it feels like we never get middle of the ground. We're always at peaks or valleys with Basley. Right now, we're at a peak. Before the season is over, I imagine we will see another valley. It's just kind of how this works with Basley. And I think what the coaching staff wants. They don't want to see the peak or the valley. They want to see that middle ground, that consistency where every game is the same. And you're not trying to figure out the flavor of the month or the flavor of the week for Darius Baisley. Now, I will say, I made a note of this on Twitter tonight. I think this is very important. The difference in Baisley in this peak is two things. It is aggressiveness and it is decisiveness. He is not catching the ball and jab stepping and dribbling between his legs a few times and trying to cross somebody over, trying to figure out what he wants to do. 
He's cutting and catching and dunking. He's catching a, a pass on the wing, ripping through, immediately putting it on the ground and going to the basket. Or he's catching and he's stepping into an open three because guys don't close out on him because they don't fear his shooting. Hopefully he can become good enough of a shooter where people do fear his shooting and it creates space. But he's being way more decisive, and I think that is absolutely essential for Baisley's game. There's too much, I think, maybe thinking on the offensive end that goes on with Baisley. You don't want him thinking and going and the gears turning and it taking time. Go, 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 go. I bet Baisley has more dunks in the past five games or close to more dunks in the past five games than he did the the previous two months. Um, that's a great sign. That means he's being aggressive and he's being decisive. I think those are two things he really needs to settle into. Hopefully he's learning. You're not that guy, pal. You're, you're not Shea, right? You're not Paul George. Fit into your role. Do what you're good at and limit what you're bad at especially offensively, which is you're not a creator, and that's okay. You don't need to be a creator. This team has a ton of creators on it. Be a play finisher. And I think he's really bought into that the past 10 games, and I'm hoping he continues to do so. I think that is his his niche. That That is his little spot. that He can kind of corner his market in the league as being that. And I think that just comes with really just maturing and becoming more aware and and accepting reality. I'm not trying to say Baisley doesn't accept reality at all. I just think if I were a 21-year-old first-round draft pick in the NBA, I would think of myself very, very highly, and I'd be doing all kinds of stuff. I think it's just a maturity thing as far as life is concerned. Um, I thought Josh Hart, from formerly from the Pelicans, uh, now up with the Portland Trailblazers had a really had some really good quotes about this, saying he knows that he's not a number one or a number two guy on a team. He's filling that role for the Blazers right now, but he knows what his role in the league is. He knows who he is. He's self aware, um, and, and he is ready to take that step back whenever guys like um, Damian Lillard come back to the Portland Trailblazers. And, and I just I love that perspective. I love when guys know who they are and what they are and what they're good at and can fit into their role uh, to form a a sum that is better than their parts. And I think Baisley is in the process of that. All right, next note. I said, the bench unit of mainly G League guys goes on a tear and takes the lead. Part of this is San Antonio playing down to their opponent slash thinking they don't have to play as hard. But part of it is that OKC's culture is incredibly strong. I've beat this drum all season long. I'm going to keep banging on this drum. The Thunder are building something special as far as their culture is concerned. Uh, with Mark Dagnall, with the sense of accountability, with the buy-in, with what this team stands for and how they play and how they bring it. Um, from Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the star player on the team, all the way down to Lindy Waters, a guy that was playing semi-pro basketball uh, G League basketball and is now on a two-way deal who's 24 years old, a late bloomer as far as NBA players are concerned. Top to bottom, from Sam Presti down to the assistant coaches of the G League team, there is alignment, there is culture, and there is accountability. And those are the things that make a team like OKC really 
like I mentioned earlier, makes this sum better than the parts. Look at the the Sacramento Kings. I don't think you can argue that the Thunder have more individual talent than the Kings right now. The Kings have a lot of really, really good players. But they're awful. They're awful, awful, awful. And they've been awful. You look at the Thunder, who are lacking a lot of talent, uh, especially right now with who's on the court, and you look at how they're competing and how they're playing and what they're doing. It, to me, that's just all culture. And I think that G League unit that came in, I mentioned it earlier, I believe it was Teo, it was Veet, it was Wiggins, it was Sar, and it was Trey Mann. Um, five guys that that played on the, the Thunder G League team multiple games this season. Uh, for those guys to be able to come in and come from behind in the fourth quarter and take a lead, I, to me, that's just that's an ode to the culture of this team. Poku, double-digit scoring in seven straight games. Let's talk about Poku's stat line real quick. Alexei Pokushevsky had 16 points on five of seven from the field. He had six rebounds, an assist, a steal, and one turnover. Poku earned himself closing minutes tonight. Coach Dagnall put him in at the end of the game. Poku and Baisley were your, your closing four and five. And I, I thought Poku was awesome tonight. I think Poku is turning a corner. I think he is becoming a rotational NBA guy in front of our eyes. And then he's going to go into an offseason and then a preseason and preseason camp. And I think next year is going to be a very important year for Poku. But we are seeing legitimate growth from this kid, and that is exciting. Maybe, I don't even know if I can say maybe, just the most impressive stretch of basketball in Poku's career, I think happened tonight. Under two minutes to go, Keldon Johnson uh, gets an outlet pass, is dribbling down the court, and goes up to throw down a hammer dunk to really punch the game away. And Poku hustles back. Poku, who is notably like non-physical on the court, avoids physicality, jumped as high as he could and met Keldon Johnson at the summit. I believe it was Keldon Johnson. Met met him at the summit, blocked the dunk. Johnson hits the ground. There's a scramble. I, I don't think it was the same play. I think it was a play later. I'd have to go back and watch. Um, on the second to last possession of the game for the Spurs, DeJounte Murray gets a screen and isos himself on Alexei Pokashevsky, who completely locks him up blocks his mid-range jumper, then sprints the court. Shea hits him with the hit-ahead pass. Poku goes up. I don't know why I didn't dunk it, but goes up, lays it off the glass, gets a goaltend. Thunder go up one uh, with about like eight seconds to go. That stretch of basketball right there, that is... I, I talked earlier about what they want from Trey. That's what they want from Poku. He was physical up the rim. He held his own in isolation uh, in the closing minutes of a game against a really good player in DeJounte Murray, played a great defensive possession, ran the floor, used his ridiculous length to get the ball up on the glass before anybody else could get it to put the Thunder ahead. Uh, Phenomenal game by Poku. David Moreno here says, Poku's evolving, and it's beautiful. Yes, we we are seeing the Pokumon evolve to his second stage 
right? He was Charmander, didn't know what the hell he was doing. He's hit Charmeleon mode now. Um, very awesome to see. I'm excited to see what Poku does over this last stretch of, what is it, like 13 more games? And then um, an offseason is going to be incredibly important for him. I think next season is a a very huge and important season for Alexei Pokashevsky, and I'm excited to see what he does. Um, my note about that Poku block is just in all caps. What a meet at the summit, Poku versus Johnson, which is fun. Um, I, I noted, I said earlier that SGA looked tired down the stretch. And then my notes ended with, wow, 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 wow. What the F? Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy ending to the game. Uh, we've covered it. So I, I'm not going to recap it again for you, but just an insane ending. It sucks to watch them lose on that that last second three after they played so hard. Like, I feel for those guys that those are a bunch of kids who just want to win basketball games and probably feel really down on themselves right now. We know that yes, you lost this small battle, but the goal is to win the war, and part of winning the war is getting the best draft odds you can possibly get. Speaking of. Let's take a quick look at Tankathon before we get out of here. I totally just re- realized I did not run the commercial. Oh, well. Uh, uh, let's look. So since I haven't run the commercial, I'm just going to plug them now. Go to cottonbureau.com and search the Uncontested Podcast. That is where you can find all of our new merch and our shirts, uh, sweatshirts, tank tops, hoodies, onesies, everything you could want. We have some awesome SGA ones. Uh, that you guys should totally go hit up since he's been on a tear. We have my favorite is the Wizard of Oz, the Australian wizard, Josh Giddy. Uh, just so clean. Our guy, Justin, absolutely killed it on those designs. All right, quick Tankathon update. Uh, let me refresh the page here. The Thunder have now lost seven in a row. Um, they have two more wins than Detroit, two more wins than Orlando, three more wins than Houston. And Indiana has three more wins than OKC. It's feeling like there's a pretty good gap there between Oklahoma City and Indiana. Uh, I don't think Indiana is going to catch Oklahoma City. I feel pretty confident of them uh, ending at least at four. Here is the great news, though. Tomorrow night, the only game on the NBA schedule tomorrow night, Detroit versus Orlando. So one of those two teams has to win and that will bump them up to 19 wins on the season, and the Thunder will be at 20 wins. They're on the doorstep. The Thunder also have two games against Orlando and one game against Detroit left. Those three, Philly Central. Those are three games that I would say, sorry, Bays and and Shea, you have to set these games. If you lose those three games, if the Thunder can drop those three, my confidence level of them making it into the top three draft odds, which are very important because when you're top three, you have a 52% chance at a top four pick and you have a, it kind of depends on where you're at, but if you're number three, you have a 67% chance at a top five pick. And that's really where the Thunder want to be, right? Uh, you want to get those best odds possible. So that's really, really important for them. Um, let me hit a few of these comments before we get out here. If you guys have any more questions, drop them now. Eamon says, 
In earlier pods, you guys said one win a week. We still feeling that, or should we aim to lose as many as possible? Uh, Amen. That was me at the beginning of the season. Whenever I was projecting wins, one total for the year, I said I feel like they'll win one a week. Um, we don't want them to win one a week. Lose them, lose them all, baby. Um, Eric Halfman says, "What's your record prediction for the last thirteen games?" Well, let's look at what those last. 13 games are real quick, and I uh, will run through it with you guys. Next up, they have the Heat loss. They have the Magic. God bless my soul. They need to lose. So let's give them a loss there. Then they have the Celtics on the second night of a back-to-back. That's a loss. They're 0-3. They play the Magic again. Let's say they win that one. They split with the Magic. So they're 1-3. They play the Nuggets. They beat the Nuggets last time. Nuggets are a really good team. Let's say loss, one and four. They play the Blazers. The Blazers suck. Let's say two and four. Hawks, two and five. Pistons have been playing well. Let's say two and six. Suns, two and seven. Blazers again. Let's say three and seven. Jazz, three and eight. Lakers are God effing awful. But let's hope they win three and nine. And then that Clippers game, uh, let's say they lose and make it three and 10 the rest of the way. That would put the Oklahoma City Thunder at 23 wins and 59 losses. Will that be good enough for third place? Can the Pistons win more games than them? We will see. Uh, But I think that one's really important. Colin asks if I have a preference on who wins that Detroit versus Orlando game. It's a great question. Um, Orlando's been playing really, really good defense. They got Markel Fultz back, who's playing really well. I also think Detroit has been really good down the stretch here. Um, so you, we want the team to win that has the better chance of winning more games down the stretch. I'd have to look at both of their schedules. Uh, but right now, I do not have a preference. Uh, Iman asks, can both teams win? That would be wonderful. Uh, Kamiar says, what kind of jump are you expecting Bayes and Poku to make in their respective fourth and third years in the association if they're still with the team? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
Twice a week, J.J. Reddick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great question. I don't really know. I think Poku's big thing is being more physical. I think that's a jump. I think if he can be more physical on both ends of the court, going to the rim, defending guys, uh, I think that makes Poku like his offensive game is going to come along. We know he's a really good passer. He's a very clever and quirky passer. The shot is coming along. I think that's going to continue. I think the big thing for Poku is gaining strength and gaining size and just a willingness to be more physical Um, for Baisley. I think it's that consistency, right? I talked at the beginning of the show. It feels like we're either on a five-game stretch where Baisley is playing incredible or a five-game stretch where he's playing awful. We need to get into that middle ground and stay there. And if that is Baisley coming off the bench, uh, shooting 34% from three for the year, uh, averaging eight points and five rebounds and a block a game, that's exactly, like, that's fine, right? I think Baisley long-term is a bench wing slash big for this team. Uh, kind of a uh, matchup nightmare for other teams, possibly off the bench. We've talked a lot about Baisley kind of following the Jeremy Grant model of development. I think that would be a great thing for him. Um, Colin Reed is going to end us off here. He says, side comment, but the Lakers in Minnesota tonight, terrible. Uh, We can fix this comment, Colin. Uh, Let's take out the words, in Minnesota tonight was, and let's just say side comment, the Lakers, terrible, because they suck. Can you imagine being a fan of the Los Angeles Lakers? They are paying more in tax dollars for their team than the Thunder are paying for the entire damn team. And this is the product you get with the Los Angeles Lakers. What an absolute, total embarrassment. I'm not going to crap on the Lakers too long. We're going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for joining the show tonight. Live stream was popping. I appreciate that. If you haven't yet, make sure you sub to our YouTube channel. Also, make sure you download our show wherever you get your podcasts at. If you drop a five-star rating, take a screenshot of it, and then DM it to us on any of our social channels, I'll mail you out some holographic, uncontested stickers. I've got four more envelopes going out tomorrow. I would love to send you some stickers. So drop that five-star rating. Send it out to us. Also, make sure to hit up cottonbureau.com and search the Uncontested Podcast. Go get your new swag. Go get some Thunder Drip. We'll be back with you guys Friday night after the Thunder take on the Miami Heat. My man Justin will be on that podcast for you guys. So make sure you join him. 
until Friday, you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the tank game tomorrow between Detroit and Orlando. And I will talk with you all soon. Until then, and as always, Thunder Up! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.